different people I could easily bring on, but it's a little intimidating for me. No. Yeah, definitely. It's, I was telling, <laughs> I've been telling my mom that she needs to get like start a podcast. Yeah. Um, cause she's got, she's gone through so much and yeah. there's so she much should. that she can help with, but she's also intimidated yeah, about intimidated. starting it. But she could, I could help her start it. I mean, you could do this part, right? but I could help her because there are, there are a lot of women out there that have been through similar, but not the same mm-hmm. that would love to hear her perspective Yeah, and just know that they're not alone. Yeah. I think, you know, from, I mean, obviously your mom's situation is unique to her, but even like a divorce that that's for some people, that's very similar. Yeah. Some people are like, bye-bye. I know. know? Yeah. But there's other others that don't feel that way and would be devastated by it. Oh yeah. I'm sure. I mean, (laughs) just, I've heard a little bit about like, I've never really experienced a divorce. I've had friends and I've seen what it's done to them. I'm I'm Um, part of a divorce. My parents. Oh really? When I was 16 and it's, I mean, they hated each other. Really? Oh, my exact quotes from both of them. My dad wanted to see her on the streets and my mom wanted him dead. Oh my gosh. It wasn't complicated. They were super simple. (laughs) And then it was like, okay, my brother was already in his twenties and out of college. So he's like, you know, whatever. But for me, I was 16 going, yeah, those are really crucial years. (laughs) Yeah. Like where do I go from here? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. So anyway, she's got a unique perspective. Yeah, that's, yeah, I've heard that the, like, the actual separation part where you're having to do it legally Uh is, like, the hardest part for some people. Yeah, And it can end up driving more hatred towards the other person because there's so much. My parents, my dad was a physician, so he was, he had made good money. My mom had stopped working. She was a registered nurse and had stopped working because of me and my brother. And um, he just didn't want to give her a dime. He was like, yeah, I'm done, which is interesting because then he passed away four years ago after they'd been, you know, divorced for so many years. And the the separation to the actual divorce took about five years because they couldn't agree on community property and money and all that stuff. And I finally came home from college and I sat down with my mom's lawyer and I was like, so whose side are you on? Because you're not working for her. And I love my dad, but you're not like, you're just letting, you're acquiescing everything to him. So I was pissed because I'm like, that's why it wasn't finishing. I'm like, my parents were wasting money on lawyers who don't give a shit. And that's what their, that's what their whole like goal is. Oh, totally. Let's keep this as long as possible. So we make money. I finally said to him, look, tell me what you have and I'll separate it for you. Cause this is bullshit. Yeah. You know, anyway. Um, yeah, that was, that was just, that was just ugly. That was just ugly. And then my dad passes away five years ago. He was still paying her. Alimony. I was, so that was four years ago. I'm 52. So I was 48. They separated when I was 16. They were legally divorced when I was 22. Talking about a lot of years. He could have cut off alimony years before. He just kept paying her. And then when he passed away, he even had a life insurance policy for her. I'm like, okay, so you didn't really hate her. Yeah. Because you don't do that if you hate somebody. Yeah, that's very confusing. Well, I think, and, and then, you know, he had said when he, when I knew that she had a life insurance, policy, I mean, he, he passed away unexpectedly, but I knew she had that. And I kind of looked at him like, okay, but I thought you hated her. Like, why'd you give her a life? And he's like, I thought it was the right thing to do. I'm like, okay, but you wanted her on the streets when I was 16. So I never. How long know, were they together? 23 years. Yeah. Well, 
I feel like you may get 23 years. There's more like. That, exactly. Yeah, you know, like two kids. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, yeah. I don't know. They're very bizarre. But that's I mean, how long I, my parents were together. 23 years? Before my dad died. Really? Yeah. 23 or 24. Those are, you know, Jorge and I are coming on 24 this year. Yeah. And I'm like, it's almost 25 years. Like it's monumental. Yeah. Like when can I get rid of you? He's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's all. It, it's a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's a long, 20 years. Is a long 25 is like a quarter of a decade. Right. Or century. Quarter century. But you kind of look at it and go, yeah, it's a lot <laughs> to is, deal with this person. I mean, I haven't even been along that or alive that long. Right. Which is yeah. just weird to think about. What's really weird is I remember being 25 and thinking, oh, it's a lifetime. Now I'm 52. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the amount that you learn in those years is probably Unbelievable. so. Unbelievable. Right. And that's kind of the whole idea of this for me. Yeah is to just be able to like learn more from other people so that I can like Which try and get more knowledge right. out of my years. You know, and that's to me. So Jorge, Jorge and I were just having this conversation because we know a young coach and, you know, he kind of thinks he knows everything. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, Jorge and I are 52. We've never thought that we know everything. Never. Right. All, all the years at UNM, we're constantly researching and trying to learn. And, you know, we're 52 kind of been around the block at this point in the game of soccer and we still know that we don't know everything right that we're constantly like who's the next person that that's come up that we al align ourselves to like we both like todd bean todd bean yeah i'll, I'll get if you ask me about him I'll, I'll okay. or even after because yeah. it's kind of a long story but we like him mm -hmm. a lot but there's things about him it's funny because jorge will will find somebody he likes and like follow them to the t right i'm more cynical I'm like, you know, I love these things about him. I don't like these things at all. I don't agree with him. Mm -hmm. I see where he's coming from, but I, so I'm a little more of a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's a little bit more of like a, not, not a follower in a bad way, but like he latches onto an idea that he really believes in yeah. and he'll follow it to a T. So yeah. it's, it's really funny how our personalities are so similar, but so different. Yeah. Um, I get like that too. I think it's like an obsession thing. Totally like hyper obsessive. Yep. Yep. Like, well, I've been obsessing over the restaurants now for like the past few well, weeks, months. Because you're helping so much, right? With it. Yeah. And like, I can't like. It's just like all I think about all day and all night. It's just like, <laughs> well, like, like okay. what's next? Like, what do we have to do next? Like, I know, I, just I know got what you here. need to do next because I know what we want to do. So Carlos and I were talking about getting our own futsal facility. Mm -hmm. Mostly, I like Chet and Robert. I just I wouldn't run a facility the way they run it. Okay. It's kind of that simple, but yeah. I love the backyard. I hate the inside. I love the backyard. So yeah. we're not in this big hurry, but Carlos and I were talking about, you know, getting our own, buying it, not leasing it, but buying it and having a couple of courts inside, but having businesses all better. I would actually like to talk to you outside of the podcast okay. about um, some ideas that I was thinking about for okay. something like that. Well, because I was thinking for like, you know, Vernon slash 6855, you could have just a takeout space there right. where that's all you're doing, yeah. you know? And if people come in, like, you know, once things normalize or whatever, parents could buy it and go watch their kids, yeah. but people could also just drive up and grab. I mean, we were thinking about that for that and a, like a juice stop. I want to build a, like a little, a little shop in there. That's all motivational books where I can actually direct people into certain books right. and certain ideas and then close it. Go Cause I feel like if you wear something that says believe, Mm -hmm. And you see that enough, you know, you and no, I talked I, about yeah, this. I so I wanted to make this space kind of a part of that. Right. You know, and anyway, 
I have some ideas. I would, I would love to talk to you about them okay. off of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think that that is very, um, I was literally, I was just obsessing about that. Like <laughs> not even a week or, and when I start obsessing, I like explode with ideas and then I draw them all down and I start thinking. Cool. Um, but I, I had to like hone it in because I didn't see like, like I, I knew I wanted to talk to you and Jorge about it, yeah. but I didn't, no, I kind of forgot. I spaced it out until just now <laughs> because um, I was like, I need to focus on the restaurant because we've got stuff that we have to do right now. And you keep doing that. Yeah. I'll keep, Carlos is keeping his eye because right now there's warehouses that are going to go for, you know, because of yeah, what's I going know. on, right? And we're trying to do the same thing in Tucson. So we want to duplicate it in Tucson. Yeah. Because we've got good friends out there. There's a guy that runs the club that, we, that we're working with that Paolo was playing for and stuff. And he's a good guy. He's one of the first in 20 some years that we can honestly say we see eye to eye with. Oh, uh, that's awesome. But it's because he doesn't do soccer full time. Oh. <laughs> well, because he's, he's got humility. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't think he knows everything. He knows what he knows and he does a really good job of it. And he's the new director of coaching for RSL Southern, but he also knows what he doesn't know. So it's not about him. It's still about the kids. Right. There is not one person in this city that I would say that about. Not one. I just yeah, just pull that in a little bit okay. more. I want to make sure that we and you can tilt it up if you want. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I just want to so, make sure that we're getting yeah, good audio. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I was just thinking about this the other day because I drove by um, the Field House. I think that's what it's called. It's oh, off of Paseo. Gabe's Gabe's place. No, the oh. it's a baseball place. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's actually where I told Brendan to go for. for yes. Me. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. he's been yeah. to that guy. He was yeah. just telling me yesterday. But yeah. I drove past that and I was. Like we've never had like a really good soccer facility. Expensive. I know. No. Yeah. But we've never had like a really good soccer mm -hmm. facility that has mm -hmm. the amenities because soccer is really big in New Mexico. Yeah. And it, <laughs> I've, I have no doubt that it would do great. Right. So that's, that's part of what mm -hmm. made me start thinking that way. Um, but you would want to align it with another sport that makes sense, like a volleyball. Mm-hmm. Or basketball, although the basketball community is not as similar to soccer. Right. Volleyball is a little bit more similar where you would get plenty of use out of the space. Right. And I mean, I'm not thinking necessarily as large as right. the field house. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Right. Something yeah. maybe just enough for the soccer right. side. The futsal, yeah. Um, futsal yeah. and like rehab and stuff like that. Right. But, um, well, that's what we're thinking in Tucson. Mm -hmm. So the gentleman that I'm talking about, he and his wife own a healthcare facility. Oh, nice. And run it. And she's a physician. So he runs it and she's, so it's, they've had it for about six years, but he said, do you know how many referrals I give to physical therapists per week? He's like 15 to 20. So you take the PTs that you believe in and you put them in your facility. Right. So where are your referrals going to your facility? Right. Because then all the businesses around the futsal are, are paying for the building, mm -hmm. not the futsal. Right. No. Yeah, totally. Cause then you can grow it organically. Yeah. Which is what we've done here. That's, that was my biggest thing. I've done so much work on that facility for yeah. free so that I'm not always paying to use the facility. Cause you can't grow a business organically when you're constantly worried about how many kids you're going to get. No. Yeah, definitely. I would love to help out more with, we'd love it. Like putting the lights up, yeah. helping out with fencing. We would love it. Um, we would love it. Because it's it's a really cool and then have your area. tech ball table there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When did how'd you get into tech ball? Oh my goodness! So you'll laugh. Back in like January or February, they started contacting me out of California, mm -hmm. 
because we run futsal here. We're really the only people that run, really run futsal here. And they were looking in all these different states because they're trying to, you know, build this huge following. Right. And so he emailed me. I swear we had just gone into lockdown and I read it and I thought, okay, you're seriously writing me something. I can't afford anything right now. Mm -hmm. Like we don't even know how long this is going to. So I just kind of left it. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I know what tech ball is, but just, and I didn't do anything with it for about six weeks and six weeks I I was, I was, I mean, I was really, I mean, I'm 52 and I've had to totally recreate myself because you can't go from, you know, an outdoor soccer coach when you're shut down trying to make money for your family. Like, how do you, Oh, I know. how do you, how do you do that? So I'm like, okay, what else can I do? And how yeah. else can I make this work? So all of a sudden I was like, you know, I think I got an email from those tech ball guys. So I emailed them back and I said, you know, I'd be, just be happy hearing what you have to say. Well, it's not costing me anything. They mm-hmm. want the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I, this is a 5013 C I'm, I am New Mexico tech ball and they provided the first table. Oh, nice. So I got that, that one for, not for free, for free, but with the understanding that I would help grow futsal. I mean, tech ball, sorry. The reason they contact us is because futsal and tech ball go together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of organic, right? They kind of, and so if they, if I want to have a tournament, they'll come out and they'll help me with it, but I really want to grow it here. That's why I want more tables so that we can run tournaments of all different ages at the facility. Yeah. And I mean, from like the little guys up to old school adults, the whole gamut, you know, and we're going to contact Francisco because he's got his own clientele and we love Francisco. I mean, we're, we're so different from him, but he has such value in where he is and what he does. And you just have to appreciate that. And so we wanted to do that and then, you know, get into some of the other clubs that we can, that we can maneuver. Although I'm not so big about that. I just want the kids. Right. It's not about clubs. It's not about the Pats. This is about Vela Soccer Academy, New Mexico Tech Ball. Right. That's it. And so that's how we got into it. And they're all about it. I'm the only woman owner of of a, awesome. of a tech ball. I know. <laughs> state association. Uh, I would love help with that because yeah. I think it'd be fantastic to really, to really, I mean, Olympics in 2028. That's crazy. You know, I mean, cool. you're not just talking about some like fad. Right. <laughs> this is a big deal. Yeah. Worldwide, it's a big deal. If you look at any major club, in the world, they have a tech ball table with all of their, you know, all their, um, marketing. I saw, I saw Neymar doing it. Oh yeah. They have yeah. their own. Well, Beckham was a great one because, um, tech ball, U S tech ball gave him a table or he had somehow, you know, mm-hmm. cause he has the Miami group. And then he was like, this is awesome. So then he wanted to buy one for his one son. And then he wanted to buy, <laughs> it was like this, yeah. this whole thing. Cause it's so fun. It is. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was looking at it and I was like, I don't know. That looks it Hope. looks fun, but it looks like kind of weird. And then we and started hokey, playing it. Yeah. Right. And then we couldn't stop playing it. Like <laughs> we didn't stop. <laughs> Even the little ones, you guys all left and the littlest ones were out there just trying to figure out how to get the ball over. Right. So it's got this huge piece to the soccer puzzle. If you believe in the technical side of the game and the tactical. Yeah. You know? I mean, your, your touch for that and like your knowledge of wh- how the ball hits you mm-hmm. is really big. It's huge. And being, being aware of where the ball is bouncing and stuff like that. I think it, I think it would help a lot with right? just soccer in general. Totally. And then having to think the game, mm-hmm. you know, if you actually learn all the rules, the rules are pretty tricky right. and they do that on purpose so that it's not like just back and forth and what, there's, there's a, a rhyme and a reason to what you do. And if you actually watch it on video, I mean, they're mean, <laughs> they, they, they? Get, they get their legs up and over the table and they whip it at the, the I mean, it's, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we couldn't even figure out how to serve it for the, for a little while. We were kept missing. I mean, we still yeah. do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more difficult than you would probably expect. It is. And I had a coach say to me, a friend of mine, he was just like, oh, it's just a ping pong table. I'm like, mm, not really. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's like, that's what you think when you look at it. Right. You're like, oh, it's just like ping. It's not going to be that hard. And then you start playing and you're like, Jesus. And that's what like gets you addicted. You're like, I need to get better at this. <laughs> so, and you guys had the younger kids and mm -hmm. then the younger kids had the even younger kids. I mean, talk about community. Yeah. It's, no, it's super fun having tournaments out there. Like with music playing Wouldn't and stuff that like that, it was awesome? so fun. Yeah. And the thing is, is because we have the lights out there too. Yeah. In the, in the hottest of summer months, you don't start until about seven o'clock. Right. You could go till 10 o'clock, have the youngest kids first and move on up. And I mean, talk about fun. That would be a lot the, of fun. The neighbors will hate it, but. <laughs> oh, they can deal with it. <laughs> I so, mean, if you end up finding a new space, you might be able to. And that's kind of what we're thinking. Yeah. You know, but I would really want the new space to also have an outdoor. Yeah, I totally agree. To it. I mean, I think that, that the out being able to go outside is very important. It is. <laughs> and two pieces to it, too. If I could change that area a little bit is you've got the big turf area and you'd mm -hmm. want to make that better. That turf kind of bugs me on the yeah. edge. You have the dirt area, which is fantastic. And what we're trying to do is create like a quarter of an acre um track around it. Oh, nice. Cause that's kind of what it, it's about a 200. Right. So that if you're, you know, training and then you want to warm up or you want to start getting, I mean, you could Do really utilize fitness. it, but you need a street component. Yeah. So you have real street soccer, right. You know, because that's like a whole different area. And I love this, the yeah. sand, the sand is fantastic. It's dirt. It's great for the kids. Kids love it. They love it. It's Those little awesome. ones never want to come off. Of I it. know <laughs> I've, I never would have expected that, but I mean, Brendan has that too. I never really played soccer in the dirt or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But Brendan, like when we were watching Lachlan play one time, he's like, Oh, that dirt field looks sweet. It's awesome. Yeah. And the kids, the little guys adore it because it, it's kind of forgiving and it's also hard. So they kind of have a combination of like, right. you know, if they fall, unless there's a rock there, which we've got plenty of those yeah. <laughs> also, it's pretty forgiving. But the other side of it is the ball's never bouncing. Right. Right. You and know? it doesn't move as fast. Not nearly as fast. I feel like on the grass, it yep. gets out of there. Yep. Or like, on, or on the futsal court. Yeah. Or on, Especially the, turf. on the futsal court. Right. The but that's also what makes them really like, good. Right. So, Definitely. you know, you, you want all these different things. Why, yeah. why do you think Neymar and all these guys, cause they played in the streets then they played on a futsal court, then they played on the grass. Then they, you know, they, they yeah. there's no one thing. And that's when people here say, well, you, you can't specialize early. Well, why not? Yeah. Why can't you specialize early if you're not always on grass? I feel like that because they do that in Europe. Like they definitely specialize early they in do. Europe and in uh, pretty much every other country. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's an American thing. And like we've done the same thing with our school system. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like I definitely think that there's a lot to be said about having like a quality like knowledge of everything sure. before you like start specializing. But like once I, like I had to go, I went to college for four years, obviously. And, um, like I had to take a bunch of classes that I was like, why am I taking this? Yep. Like I had to take music classes. I had to take like two music classes and I was like, I will never do anything in music. And the concept being maybe it helps you appreciate music more. I mean, Definitely. that's kind of the concept, Yeah. but I think that's such a small percentage that have, put value at 18 to 22 year olds, put mm -hmm. value into that music class. And it's also, it also kind of seems like disingenuous because you're mm -hmm. like, 
you're kind of holding me here so I can get 120 <laughs> credits yeah. when I like probably could have been out in like two, two and a half years. Well, that's Guatemala. So yeah. I have to hear it all the time because out of high school, their high schools are better there. Really? They, they do a lot of what we do in college in Guatemala. And then once you're out of high school, you specialize. So right. like Jorge had done two years of, of, um, engineering, I think, uh, I don't remember what kind of engineering, but he'd done almost two years and then he came here and he couldn't use any of it. Huh? Because, because he didn't get a four year degree. Correct. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it is, you know? it's kind of, there's an interesting, <laughs> cause you want to make sure that the people that are doing the stuff know what they're doing. Sure. Um, but I feel like there should be Cause you don't want like a doctor from a different country coming over and be like, I got my doctorate in that country. And then, sure. you know, I want to practice here, but theirs isn't as extensive as ours. Right. But I feel like there should be some way to be like, this is legitimate or. In all fairness now with the computer system, there's probably a way. I think you yeah. know, he came here in about 1988, maybe uh -huh. when he was 19. And um, at that time, he would have had to go back to get his transcripts and bring them here. And then somebody would have had to translate them and give him the credits and certain schools would have. And, you know, for a 20 year old male who really just wanted to play soccer, I mean, he was happy to get his degree, but he really was here to play soccer. His parents had forced him to come here without him knowing because it was so dangerous in Guatemala. Wow. And so he was for, he pretty much came here to visit them. He was living with his grandparents to visit them for Christmas. And they said, yeah, you're not going back. And he just kind of looked at him like, what do you mean? I'm playing professionally. I'm with the national team. What do you mean? I'm not going back. And they're like, yeah, it's too, it's too dangerous. And your grandparents don't want the responsibility. So you're just not going back. And that's how he ended up here. Not his parents, his wow. parents. Yeah. His parents came here with a purpose, but it was also because it was dangerous. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was really Yeah. Bad. I was actually going to ask him yeah. if he could come on later this week and then oh, have you guys it. like back to back. Yeah. He would love it. Um, He's got some really interesting stories. Oh, I'm sure. Both of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally different. Everybody. Yeah. I, I've found that everybody has like stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that like, that's like I said earlier, that's why I started this was because mm -hmm. everyone has different experiences. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to have to go through all of the shitty experiences. I'd rather just like <laughs> learn. <laughs> if you can help it, that's a good way to right. go. <laughs> yeah. Like just be like, hey, you messed up here. Maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's a good way to go though. Yeah. That's, um, that's really funny. That's my naive way of looking at it. But no, that's great. I, seriously, if you're willing to learn from other people, it's the best way to go. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'd really like, I'm really trying to get better at just being able to listen because mm -hmm. I have like a extremely like high, like just quick, like my thoughts, like uh -huh. always want to just jump out. Mm -hmm. And like in my earlier podcasts, um, that are gone now because I, <laughs> I rebranded everything. Um, I would just interrupt people in like a train mm -hmm. of thought, yeah. uh, with their train of thought and like jump in with something. And then I realized that it made the conversation much harder. Like you want the conversation to flow as organically as possible. And when I'm jumping in, people lose what they're saying yep. and it just makes it not as, not a very good conversation. Well, from listening to podcasts through, I listened to a ton during Me this too. time yeah. going up in the mountains and mm -hmm. walking. There's one that I really enjoy. I, I love the, the guy that does it and his uh, business partner. They're fabulous. We can talk about that, but it, it's all about, um, it's got a mental psychology side for sports. It's a lot about sports. 
listening to him, I've, I've picked up that he's great and he's very knowledgeable and he's been around the game a lot, but sometimes he, he wouldn't say interrupts his, his people that he's talking to, but he kind of inter- interrupts him because he wants to put his, his little sound bite on mm-hmm. it. And they're kind of like, um, yeah, that's not really where I was going <laughs> kind right. of a thing. And, and I can hear him because, you know, the people that he's talking to are friends of his or very good acquaintances within the soccer, the soccer or sport world. And they go, yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. But and then they go on. And, and so I was trying to listen to him if I wanted to do my own podcast to be able to say, listen better. Right. This is not about you. Yeah. You know, and that's hard to do, I think, in life. That's why I think this is such a cool way of learning because you do, that's one of the things you're learning, right? Yeah. That you'll learn more if you listen more. Yeah. Um, but I think in general, people don't like to listen, not because they don't like it. Like it, that's the wrong word. We're not I, very good at it. Yeah. I think that the, my problem is that I've noticed is like, I'll hear something that you're talking about mm-hmm. and I'll be like, oh, I've got something to say there yeah. and I'm worried that I'm going to lose it. And oftentimes you do yeah. lose it. Yeah. Um, but I've found that throughout the conversation, you'll come back to it or it wasn't even that important. <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. Or you could even have a piece of paper down and just you, write it down. That's a great idea. And I, well, somebody just told me that recently because I'm actually writing some books, kids' books. Oh, okay. Children's books. Nice. And um, this person told me, a great thing because my, my brain, especially with all this different ideas online, which I'm very uncomfortable with. Um, she's like, you know what? You need to do a brain dump. Mm-hmm. And when you're brain dump, you have a piece of paper off to the side. So you're doing what you need to do, writing your books, getting your ideas out. And then something pops in your mind really, just write it down because she's like, once you write it down, you can let it go knowing that you're not going to forget it, right. but you can go back to what you were doing. And I was like, that's probably the smartest thing anyone's ever told me. <laughs> yeah. I, man, I've been trying to use my notes app more mm-hmm. like on my phone, mm-hmm. but I just don't like, I'm not very good with my phone. I'm yeah. not, I'm not connected either. to it as much <laughs> yeah. as which a, is good. Yeah. Devin, that's a really good thing. Yeah, no, it's good. It, <laughs> it makes it difficult. Um, for like my girlfriend for sure, because that's communication. She, I mean, right. And we talked about it because at the beginning, She's like, why aren't you like talking to me? And I'm like, I, I had to like tell her, I was like, I just don't, I don't connect through the, through text messages. It just doesn't work for me. Um, (laughs) like I just don't do it well. And she totally, totally understands. And now it's like nothing. Well, in in text, let's face it. You can miscommunicate so easy through a text So easy. where it was like, I didn't mean it that way. Right. That's how I read it. Okay. Well. So I, I think there's a lot of value in that, to be honest with you. And I like the long form conversation mm-hmm. and I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to type for five minutes. Yeah. I don't want to do it. You know, <laughs> it's just like too much. And get a pad of paper out yeah, exactly. and write it down. Yeah. And I yeah. like, that's what I was going to is I like the tactical feel mm-hmm. of like writing. Yep. Um, I do so too. like, I want to start carrying like a, like a little notebook yep. with me to write. Yeah. Cause it happens to me like all day, yeah. all day, every day I have. St- when I'm up on the mountain. Mm-hmm. And where he's like, well, just talking to the phone. And I'm like, I can't, I'm listening to a podcast. <laughs> and I've got this. He just laughs. Cause yeah. it's exactly that where you don't want to lose that thought. And I, I agree. Maybe it's just not that important, but maybe it is. Maybe you just, you know, you're just, you're just thinking and everything's going and you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta write that down really fast and yeah. then move on. <laughs> and it, it does happen to me a lot. Like yeah. I just listened to an audio book about like, it's called zero to one. It's about starting, um, businesses and oh, okay. stuff like that. Yeah. And um 
when I was listening to that, I like all of that kind of like drowned out in the background and all of these ideas like sprung through my head. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's, amazing. It's weird how that works. Well, I sit in my house sometimes. I'm like I said, I'm trying to write these books and I'm like, gosh, I can't, like I have the entire story in my head and I just can't. And then I'll go walking up into the mountain where I'm sort of walk running, can't run like I used to, but walk running and listening. And all of a sudden all these ideas Mm -hmm. are popping in my head. I'm like, Okay. Yeah. I gotta, yeah. I gotta change how I'm doing this. <laughs> the exercise thing helps so much. Doesn't it? Yeah. I you get, forget. I get so, I just am not a great person when I'm, when I haven't exercised. I understand that yeah. all too well. That's and that's healthy. That's yeah. healthy until you don't exercise and then it's unhealthy. Right. Not, and I don't mean lack of exercise. I mean brain. Mentally. It is terrible. Yeah. It is terrible. You don't realize how connected you are to, to movement. hmm until you don't move. Yeah. And then God, everything just seems to fall apart. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I mean, I listen to Joe Rogan podcast a lot and we I listen to, <laughs> I listen to comedians a lot because mm-hmm. I think they have a really interesting perspective on the world. They do. Because they're all trying to find ways of making it funny and they pay yeah. attention to really interesting things yeah. and they've all failed a lot. Yeah. Like yeah. At being a comedian in the beginning, you're just failing. Like that's it. Cause there's, a lot of people, they don't think you're funny. Right. And like, I, I like to think that I could do that, but it sounds awful. My brother did it for a while. Did stand, he really? stand up in Santa yeah. Monica. He was, he was, I hate to, I don't mean this condescending, but he was kind of too smart. Mm. Like the things he would say just flew over people's head. You know, you had, there's a fine yeah. line. You have to dumb it down a little bit. Well, dumb it down or just, um, understand the audience you're speaking to. Yeah. You know, and so some of it, you can, you can be really high level, but bring the words down or you mm-hmm. could. I, right. Yeah. You if know. you change the vocabulary, yeah. like it can do a lot. I'm we sure. would say stuff. We would go watch him because there's a lot of stand up places in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. obviously. And we'd go listen to him and our table would be cracking up and everybody else was like, what did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sorry. Yeah. I yeah. don't, I've always thought that I could do comedy. You probably could. And, I was like, maybe I should try it. Look at Vernon's. You could create a stand-up. I know. That's also <laughs> part of my plans. <laughs> um, but funny. I, I, I struggle in front of like big crowds and yeah. I've gotten much better at it yeah. because you just have to do it. Right. And yeah. you just have to not yeah. like, I'm always worried and it's like, who really cares at yeah. that point? Like you're doing stand-up. Yeah, you're supposed to stand <laughs> I mean, up there and kind of look stupid yeah, at some yeah, point. And even yeah. if you fail, like no one's really going to remember that. No. So it's, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like if you make it, people will be like, I I watched that guy when he was terrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when he was terrible and really young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I listen to comedy podcasts almost the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that and then audio books. Um, to get like more in-depth knowledge. We can do that while you're working, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's my big thing is I love doing it while I drive, mm-hmm. um, while I'm cleaning, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, yeah. going on a walk with my dog. Yep. It just makes it, reading is just too time consuming. <laughs> I read and then I read the same thing five times. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think, oh my God, like this is the next genius statement. And then I'll go like 10, pound, 10 pages later. I'm like, what did I read? Cause no idea because my brain is going yeah. in a million directions while I'm reading. So, yeah. And I was never able to read like through middle school and high school, oh. like the books that they would assign. 
No, I was not able to read them. Surprise me. My mom would read them to me, yeah. and I was much better at consuming them that way. <laughs> even though it took up way too much time for my mom. <laughs> yeah, she just. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's had to go through elementary and high school so many times <laughs> by now, especially now with she the pandemic. She three degrees. Seriously, but That's um, funny. I finally got to the point where I could like do it on my own. Yeah. Like. Obviously, when I had to go to college, I was like, all right, I guess it's time to start <laughs> I doing have no this. choice. Yeah. And you kind of find like ways of getting around doing all of it. You do. And you read it, what you have to read. Right. Because it doesn't seem like the main reason I changed my degree because I was going to be an engineer mm -hmm. was because I didn't have enough time to do all of the things that I wanted to do. <laughs> so there you go. So I changed it. And yeah. I was like, well, if I change my whole degree, I can probably not read a couple of pages of this book. Probably. Yes. Yeah. That's really funny. Is, though. We couldn't yeah. do everything. So when did you and Jorge meet? Oh my gosh. The first time we met, we were 19 and I was dating my high school sweetheart that was playing at UCLA, playing soccer at UCLA. Mm. He had gone the junior college route at the time because he didn't get recruited. Back then there weren't as many programs. So he went to a very good junior college um, with a coach that we knew really well. And then he got to a bump and he played for Ziggy Schmidt at UCLA, mm. uh, which was a big deal for him. He was more of just a runner, phenomenal athlete, not a lot of skill. Right. His brother was a better soccer player, but a little bit wild hair. So it came, came from a soccer family. Um, and I was, I came home from Brown when I was on, you know, Christmas break or whatever. And I was, um, hanging out with him and his friends up at UCLA and Jorge had just moved to the United States and he had already befriended all these soccer players. Cause that's what he does. And, um, we ended up at the same party. And so it was the first time we met each other, which was interesting cause we didn't like each other very much. Um, yeah, whatever. And then, um, when I was 25, I was coaching high school and women's soccer was imploding. So title nine took a long time with women's soccer. When I went to school, there were only 85 division one programs and that was 1986 through 1990. So title nine was signed in the seventies yeah. and it wasn't until really the late nineties that women's soccer imploded, which is interesting that it took so long, but you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. So when I was in college, there were 85 programs and then I graduated and women just didn't coach soccer. They coached softball, maybe volleyball, but they didn't coach soccer. And I started coaching at my high school, um, totally by accident. And I did really well. I mean, I really liked it, but I hadn't gone to an Ivy league to coach. That wasn't really what I was planning on doing. Right. <laughs> so I was working some other jobs, but I really hadn't found a niche that I really loved. And I started coaching and I thought, okay, this I like, yeah. this, I, this I enjoy. And at 25, I went to, um, I was dying to go to Europe and I went to Holland to play professional softball actually. Mm. Um, and so I was there for about seven months. And in that time I realized I really enjoy coaching because they hired, they hired me more as a player coach. I went to a division two program. So like a second tier in Holland, but they had all these junior national kids on it. So it was a very good team. They just happened to be in the second division and they brought me in because I had coached. And I actually, at that time I'd coached softball for my high school also. So they brought me in to play and to coach so that I could mentor these young junior nationals. And, um, it was very interesting because there was also a language barrier a little oh, bit. Yeah, I bet. Most of them spoke some, some semblance of English, but, um, 
I was there to play to some degree, but they moved me around a lot so that I could teach kids that were not that much younger than me, really. I mean, I was 25. They were 18, 19, 20. But um, they would teach lessons. So it's a socialist country. There's not a lot of ambition. So nobody works very hard. You've got that really top, like, maybe 0.5% of the population that becomes, um, you know, some of the greatest players of all time. I can name some soccer players. I couldn't tell you any softball players. But they didn't – I would go running every day, and they'd look at me like, what are you doing? And I, I was like, well, soccer is my first sport. Mm-hmm. I need to stay fit because I'll go back to the United States and play again. And they were like, so you run? Like, we don't quite get that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. That's it was. Weird. And at that time, the women's, the Dutch women's national team it was kind of non-existent. They really weren't. We were talking about 27 years ago. So they really weren't uh, a program yet. So they would do stuff like the second baseman for our team was a junior national player. And she was lazy. She was good, but she was lazy and she had no bite. So every time she would kind of go down in her game, they'd put me at second place, at second base, because I'm the one that was diving for balls and killing myself. Right. And that's just, that's what Americans do, right? Yeah. We, we, we go to the extra nth degree to be a great athlete. And so they would put me there just to get her inspired. And then she would get better. And then they put me back in the outfield, which I'd never played in the outfield in my life. I mean, I'm five foot three. I'm not an outfielder, mm-hmm. but I love the fact that I was being utilized and they were paying me to do it and they were paying me to travel. So it was a perfect thing. I was like, this is great. But at some point I had to come home. And so I went back to coaching uh, soccer and teaching at my high school. And because I were teaching, it was a Catholic high school. So anything they would give me, I was teaching uh, ethics. (laughs) I was teaching. (laughs) <laughs> that seems so weird that because that happens a lot with like substitute teachers yeah. is they and like interim teachers. Yep. They just like don't teach those things. And they're like, well, you have to learn it and then just teach yeah, the class. And just teach it. Yeah. I taught government. I taught uh, some religious classes. And then they got me involved in like the yearbook and all these other things that nobody else wanted because I was young. Uh-huh. And I'm like, OK, you know, whatever. I'll do this for a little while. But I did really well coaching that high school team. And so... <laughs> I had done well as a player there. That's why they wanted me back. So then I did really well as a coach. And then in 1993, women's soccer, division one women's soccer absolutely imploded. It went from 85 programs to about 160 programs in a year. And then it went from 160 to about 260 in another year. Wow. So by 1995, uh, we had been at I had been at LMU for two years and the head coach there took myself and Jorge to USC because that's really when schools like a USC started dumping money into women's soccer. Right. And so we were there for five years and we did really well. We won the PAC 10 at that time. And then UNM came after us to come here. So that was kind of the, the sequence, but it was, it was such an interesting way of watching women's soccer. Really. I mean, I was a pioneer, right? So I was a player with 85 programs and then I became a coach when it popped up to about 160. And then I was a college coach when it popped up to 260 and then a division one coach head coach here. And we were at 335 programs. So, you know, the, the craziness of all that. Well, in all that, I was working at LMU after I didn't really want the high school. I was working at LMU and the coach there had been the junior college coach of my high school boyfriend who also knew Jorge. So the first year we had a, a really famous um, goalkeeper coach, Dave Van Oli. I, I haven't heard you, of him. If you look him up, he actually died very young, 
he never took care of himself, drinking, eating, all that sort of thing. Um, but he was a total clown and did okay. But Jorge was a harder worker. So after the first year, um, he hired Jorge. And so we got to know each other there again. Oh, nice. And then, you know, so we were like 26 and we got married at 29. And then we stayed there until we were about 31. And we came here when we were 32. So we've been here 21 years. Wow. Yeah. So it's been kind of a long haul, but how long did you coach at UNM for? 14 years. Wow. Yeah. And we've been gone now six years. Dang. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that was quite a program. Yeah. That's a story in itself. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy coaching at UNM? You know, the first years were great because Rudy Davalos brought us in. And what he had done was he looked at young. Was he the AD? He was the athletic director, okay. total Texan. What you see is what you get. No BS, no nice. hidden messages. Um, that's what you like. Totally. Yeah. And that's why we came here. I'm right. like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. The program was 240th out of 286 programs. Bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Bottom of the barrel of the Mountain West. BYU and Utah sat at top and everybody else stunk. Even San Diego State back then was just, you know, they'd win some big games and then they were just terrible. Mm. So we came in thinking, well, the only way you can go is up. <laughs> you really can't go any lower. And we kind of had a vision with that, with Rudy of all he wanted us to do was come in and make them more competitive. That was it. That was right. our stipulation. The budget was manageable. It wasn't amazing, but he had created a lot of perks where maybe we didn't have the dollar signs in our budget, but we had this perk that would help us. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean perk for us personally. I mean, a perk for the program yeah. where, you know, he had, he had, put some great stuff together with Southwest airlines where we had these blank check tickets. So if we needed to go recruiting quickly, instead of, you know, doling out $1,500 for a ticket, you had these free tickets. Oh. So it was a huge, I mean, so he yeah, had all nice. these things that were amazing. Um, and so I thought, you know, we can figure this out for three or five years and make them more competitive, but we really liked New Mexico. He stayed five years and then he retired. And then in comes Krebs and his, nonsense yeah and lots it just of nonsense was, huh oh he's in jail he's in jail now oh yeah he was indicted it's paul krebs right paul krebs he's a mess he was always a mess he treated your mom terribly yeah he was a mess he, he destroyed more careers than he created he yeah i wonder single-handedly yeah that's crazy because he was wasn't that. wasn't he like taking money he got in trouble for you, for money laundering, for using state funding um, illegally. I mean, those. He, I think he he got indicted on seven of nine counts of of different things. That's right, a lot of counts. But so because someone said, well, that kind of was a small thing that he did. And first of all, it wasn't a small thing that he did. Right. It was very illegal. It was very dishonest. Okay, with all the counts. But he only got in trouble for those things. I could tell you stories and stories and stories of what he did behind closed doors and at the, you know, two coaches and all this stuff. He should have been in jail way before he was ever put in jail. Yeah, I remember seeing stuff about that on just on uh, like KOB, like the yeah. news channel. Yeah. And I, something about like a golf tournament, like he took in Scotland, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They took donors out there. They used state funding for some of it. Uh, his family members came with him on, on the state. So, I mean, there were some things that were certainly illegal, but then he tried to cover it up. Yeah. And they have, they have the cover up and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, what he did was illegal. 
and unethical. But that wasn't the only thing he did. That's all he got caught for. Right. So I can imagine. I mean, you, you get caught for doing some of that stuff. You, you have to believe that there's more going on. Oh, and there was, and there was, it it was, it was was just very sad. Was he taking money from your guys' program? Cause well, what he was doing was we weren't his coaches. He didn't hire me. Right. So he let me know from the minute he walked in the door, number one, I wasn't his hire. And number two, he didn't like Jorge and I working together. He didn't like a married couple working together. Mm. Well, what I came to find out is what he didn't like is that he couldn't backstab me with my assistant coach. Right. So. So he was doing that with other teams? He was doing that with other teams. If you weren't his coach, if you weren't his hire, he would treat you completely different than people he would hire. I mean, he, he, you know, he hired the famous Loxley who was just a black hole for the university. Right. You know, there was money missing after he left. I mean, so many things that if, if somebody had actually investigated, it would have been, he should have been gone after Loxley was gone. That was his hire. That was his mess up, but he had infilled, you know, he had connections with the board of directors. He had people, I mean, he's just, he was just a mess. He was, was he, what was he like, like in person, like to the public, like obviously, so behind closed doors to you guys, he was probably an ass. He was but, horrible. Right. He was horrible behind closed doors. You know, in public, he's just very arrogant. Really? Very arrogant. You know, he came from the Midwest. I think a lot of people thought he wouldn't be, but he was. He just he just had this air of arrogance and that he was just so far superior. And, you know. Right. And his, you can tell that by what he's done. Yeah. But. And the, and the only people that I think really supported him were the ones that were connected with what he wanted to do. Yeah. And that was, there's a couple of board of directors that mm. were specific. And so he really kept, nobody really liked him. Nobody at the department liked him. Right. Cause I could imagine like, there's something to be said about like a charismatic person oh, sure. who can like corrupt people. Yeah. Um, because they're so likable. Right. And that and, was not him. Right. And that's no. what I was like, I wonder if that was. It, was, was, like. it was his power. And he thought he was indestructible and, and just had no accountability. He really believed that. My last day there, and I knew where it was going because he had wanted to do that for like five years at that point. Um, my last day, he just said, you know, I'm a senior athletic director in this Mountain West Conference. And so pretty much what I say, go. And I just looked at him and I thought, you're, the, you're an athletic director of a mid-major. Like, and he's like, well, that might be what you think. And I'm like, no, it's a mid-major. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying anything that everybody, everybody else doesn't already know. Right. I said, so you might think you have a lot of power right now, but it won't always be that way. So. I don't, man. Greed. Yeah. Greed. Greed does funny things to people. It's so strange for me to think <laughs> that you could get that far gone though. Yeah. Oh. You I mean, know, there was obviously something when he was younger. Yeah. And, you know, when he came in, we all, we knew that. I mean, there were coaches that left right off that Rocky Long within his first year there was like, I am out. I am out. I'm not on board with this guy. And he had done amazing and everything went downhill. He He went, um, so Rocky was our football coach. He was the football coach. He had played at UNM. People loved him. Talk about charismatic. That guy was the bomb. And he just saw the direction that Paul Krebs wanted to go. And he said, yeah, I'm not, I'm just going to retire. And he had just signed a five-year contract. So this wasn't, you know, he wasn't being pushed out. He wasn't, right. he just looked at it and said, yeah, this is not what I want to be a part of. So he retired. It's nice. I mean, he's, he was in the 
that situation. Do that. Well, what was interesting is he retired within a year. The guy that was hired at San Diego State hired him to be his defensive coordinator mm. over at San Diego State. They kicked everyone's butt for about five years. That guy retired. Rocky took over that program and kept kicking our butt for years. <laughs> so he was smart and we probably should have all followed his lead. But, um, you know, I think some of us, like I, I was, hard. well, and I was proud of what we had done, Yeah, you know, and we were in a spot that was like 2009 and I was, I was offered a job in California, but I was just so proud of what we had done. And we were on that edge of winning, yeah. which we did in 2010 and 11, something that nobody had done with the women's soccer program there, especially against the teams that we were willing to play. And so I was right in staying, but I was wrong in, in staying and working for him Yeah, because he was just, you're just a bad guy. You know, there's just those bad people, but you have to liken it when you say it's hard to imagine when coaches around the country, you know, you see here football coaches and basketball coaches in particular, where there's a lot of money involved, getting in a lot of trouble for recruiting violations or donor violations. People go, didn't they know? Of course they knew. They just thought they were invincible. You get to a certain point sometimes where you think you are so powerful and invincible that no matter what you do, you're going to get away with it. Right. That's where he was, you know, and like I said, coaches do it all the time. I mean, it's sad because they're coaches too, Right. but you know, he was never an athlete. He was never a coach. He was a, he was a ticket taker at the Ohio state yeah. and worked his way up. And that, I mean, that idea, like, I mean, ideally you'd be like, I, I'm not going to work for this guy. And then Hopefully everybody would. Yeah. And then like you said, live and learn. <laughs> right. No, but like what I'm saying yeah. is like, I yeah. was, I've been in a situation where I was playing for a, a team mm -hmm. and I was like, I want to leave. Like, right. I don't want to be here right yeah. now. Yeah. And, um, and, but there's so many connections and I'm sure it's the same with coaching. Mm -hmm. Like you've got all these players yep. that are kind of counting on you yep. and you feel that like. You built it. Yeah. We built a family. You know, and I should have known at that moment, too, because one of the things that Jorge and I were always most proud of is that we created a family culture. Mm -hmm. Our two boys were a part of it. Krebs hated that. Yeah. You know, he used to say, so, so, un so un unprofessional. I'm like, it's women's college sports. How is that unprofessional? <laughs> it's not rocket science. Yeah. And it's a great role modeling. You know, and yeah, that's, and that's why, definitely. that's why a lot of those girls came to play for us. Cause they wanted to be a part of that family culture. And I should have known when he said to me one day, maybe it's too close of a family. And I thought, what does that mean? Oh man. There's a lot in that. Right. Like obviously he didn't have a great family. Right. Yeah. That's. So I guess I should have seen the signs, but I, okay. Paolo was 10 when we left UNM. Mm -hmm. When he was about eight things started going downhill and I knew it. And I, I was just hoping he was going to get a job somewhere else because he didn't come here to finish here. He came here to jump to like a, the Ohio state. He had that much arrogance about him. Right. And I kept thinking, please, somebody hire him, please. We just need somebody, not him. Mm -hmm. And Paolo was about eight and he turned to me and he said, mom, just outlast him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. And so that's what we were trying to do right. in all fairness. You know, it wasn't that we were naive to what was going on. We just thought we were cocooning. We're okay. Right. We just need to outlast him. I feel like there's a lot of people in California doing that right now. Oh. Trying to outlast the governor. California's a mess. I know. All of our families there. And they keep saying, 
we want you to move back. Please don't move back. We want you to move back. Please don't move back. <laughs> you know? That's funny. Oh, man. <laughs> it's I've, I've heard that they're starting to open. They just, my mom just said that California is opening Ohio. I think it was Ohio um, New and York. New York. Is opening. Yeah, because it's a different president now. It's all political. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying it's all political. It's, I know. You know, it's, it's hard to say that it's not when it happens that quick after there's a new president. And we all knew it was going to happen. You know, That's, it just it's just really unfortunate. It's sad. Yeah, it's, it's and I don't want to get into politics. I hate the, politics right now. Right, but it, <laughs> I just, it leads like what we were talking about. Corruption leads straight into politics. Probably the most corrupt politics ever in the world. Yeah, around the world, not just here. Oh, yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. oh man. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's too much to even, mm-hmm. and obviously neither one of us are experts in that field. But no, no. But the one thing I am an expert at is that kids need hope. Yes, and so. Let's at least at least cross our fingers that some of these governors who have taken away their hope will give it back. Yeah. For me, that I, I, politics, no, I, this is ridiculous for the kids. Uh, the soccer and the school both baffle me. I know. Um, the I know. soccer, more than anything, I'm like, well, you're outside. The pitch is huge. Right. There's 22 players on the field. And there's the, volleyball going on right now. And the data supports it. Yeah. There's volleyball going on right now in New Mexico. There's gymnastics indoors that's been going on since Same as volleyball. March. Yeah. And I'm like, they're saying like, oh, there's only six people on each side of the court. They're like six feet away. But I'm like, if you take the size of a soccer field and the amount of space that the players take up, it's mm-hmm. probably much less than right. a volleyball court. And volleyball is with your hands, yeah. which we already know. I guess it's, I mean, soccer is definitely more contact, but- uh, there's there's too much to even get yeah. into here. But I just look at the kids and I think kids need hope. So put politics aside. The virus has data. Yeah. Right? We have data at this point about kids and kids are like 99.9% not vulnerable. Yeah. Right. There's always going to be the outlier. Well, the outlier too usually has underlying issues mm-hmm. and probably shouldn't be around people until they get a vaccine anyway. Yep. Let's face it. But the majority 99.9%. And New Mexico is number one in youth suicide. So I don't think that's a stat we want to be number one in. I I can't help but believe that this is going to cause far more problems oh, yeah. than just the virus itself would have. Yeah. Like these lockdowns are. Devastating to children. Yeah. And to like well, anybody. Absolutely. Because if you lose your business and you lose your livelihood, what where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What kind yeah. of hope as an adult do you have? And the, 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 the virus has really brought out that corruption in the, the mm-hmm. politicians. Yeah. Like, um, power. Yeah. The governor of California, I forgot his name, but Newsom. Newsom going to that place to eat. Yep. He was okay. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a video online of some lady and she, her restaurant got shut down. She spent tens of thousands of dollars to build an outdoor seating area. In California. I saw that video. Yeah. And then the movie production moved in. Right, right next to it. I was like, oh my God. She was humiliated. She was devastated. Yeah. She was angry. And she had every right to be all of those things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would have been furious. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. And I mean, was- I'm already furious. Like, yeah. we're trying well, to run a guys- restaurant. And we're, yeah. we're the luckiest of them all. Like really, if we think about it, we 
had a beautiful outdoor seating area. Mm-hmm. We were able to expand our outdoor seating area yeah. without too much expense. Right. People are loving it, loving it. Yeah. And are like, we turn our lights on and people are coming to eat. Yeah. And so we can't, but you all were resourceful. Yeah. You stayed strong. We worked quick. You stayed together mm-hmm. and you worked on it yourselves. Cause what if you'd had to bring in a whole crew? You yeah. might not have been able to afford it. No. Right. Yeah. A lot of restaurants, they don't have all those abilities. Right. Exactly. And that's, you know? that's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm but saying. But you also is- have one of the most expensive restaurants in the city. So it's kind of a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be the lucky ones, Yeah. but you've maneuvered. And it's interesting because I think people we've gotten through, like, we've gotten through the initial lockdowns mm-hmm. and everyone was like, all right, I'm okay with doing this initial lockdown. Mm-hmm. It was the second lockdown. Yeah. And people are like, well, this isn't really changing things. No. Like, and it didn't, it didn't change the numbers. It's not doing no. what, what you're trying to say it's going to do. Right. You're just hurting businesses. And so people are like, well, I'm going to go support, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go support these local businesses. Yeah. We've had a lot of like our VIPs have been good to us um, and have been trying to help us. Which is great. We've had a lot of people buying tons of gift certificates oh, or gift cards nice. and yep. then waiting to use them right. until we get up and running yeah. full, yeah. Um, which has helped us a lot. That's amazing. Like we're still like, like treading right. at this point, right. but, but at least things are opening. Yeah. You know, so you're not looking at like, oh my God, what if we shut down again? And you're thinking, okay, when's the next step? Yeah. When can we go forward again? Yeah. Now, like, and I'm like a, like a eternal optimist. (laughs) (laughs) So am I. Yeah. So like, I'm always thinking about like what's next because things are going to get better for me. Like this is the worst that it can get. So what's going to get like, what's next? Already been there. Yeah. How do we go forward? Right. So, I mean, this morning we were ripping up the floor in the VIP area (laughs) for five hours and just. That is a pain in the butt. But Rip. just think of where it's going to be when it's done, yeah. right? No, yeah, exactly. And we've got so many ideas for this space. <laughs> We're going to make it so much nicer than it is right now. It's, it's going to be great. so fun. Um, and great. it's going to be a great community area. That's awesome. And speaking of community, I wanted to yep. talk, go back a little bit and yep. talk about like how you created such a community within the UNM program, like such a family. Well... I mean, I think it starts just from Jorge and I believing in the culture mm-hmm. that family works together. So teams work together. Teams are a family. Mm-hmm. And if you're coaching women in particular, they're very social animals. So creating a family culture was actually what they were looking for, a lot of them. Yes, we brought our kids in. Yes, we are married. I mean, those things are obviously valuable, but we still, as people, believed in that family culture. And- you know, on a good team, you're always one decision away from helping or not helping somebody, which is the same thing with a family, mm-hmm. right? And so when you're on the field and you're in the 88th minute and it's a zero-zero game and it's a game you need to, to win, family will come together. A team doesn't always, you know, a team sometimes is very individualistic. Mm-hmm. And so if you create more of a family environment, especially for women, like I said, not that it doesn't work for men, but uh, let's say you say women, cause that's where we were. Um, those women would do anything for each other. And that's how we won two championships, beating BYU, beating Utah. I mean, we were playing some of the best teams in the country. And if not just competing, we were beating them. Florida State, Florida, North Carolina. I mean, some of the top at the top, we were lowly New Mexico. Who the heck had ever heard of us? 
And they work harder for each other. They work harder in training. We had an amazing strength coach, amazing, because he did strength with team building and team bonding. And so we were all on the same page. Uh, We were probably the fittest team in the country, hands down. We could run. We went and played North Carolina. We were up one nothing for 65 minutes. We had uh, Anson Durant's yelling in our ear, (laughs) not happy to say the least. Um, (laughs) Just looking back, he was so funny. A couple of national team players that are current national team players on that team. They tied it up 1-1 on a ball that went out of bounds. We ha- we missed three or four just sitters, and we ran with them for 90 minutes. They ended up beating us 2-1 to one on, a, on a second ball that went out of bounds that we just didn't, on the end line that we just, I don't know, we just didn't pay attention to. And all they could say to us is, we've never had a team come in here and run with us for 90 minutes, ever. Who wow. are you? We're like, nobody really, <laughs> you know? But- And that was after we graduated the class of kids that were, you know, we had a defensive player of the year, an offensive player of the year for the Mountain West. We won those two championships. It was the next year that we did that when all of them graduated. So it was the culture that we were looking for. Um, And then we lost the culture because I was having to fundraise $60,000 to $75,000 a year to function because he was taking money out of my budget and putting it into other people's budgets. That's where your mom came in. Well, your mom was helping me so much. We were doing fundraisers with Vernon's. I mean, I'll never forget that or, or not be grateful for those times. Cause I mean, I was a soccer coach. Yeah. The heck did I know about fundraising? Right. I mean, you know? it's just not, yeah, it's it wasn't appropriate. It's such bullshit. Well, it was because we didn't have a phenomenal budget, but it was a manageable budget. Mm-hmm. And so he took it from manageable to making it uncomfortable, unmanageable because I wasn't one of his coaches. He wanted me to fail. Right. And, and I just, re- I refused to fail. I mean, I just refused. Yeah. And so without good friends and people and, and community, you know, we probably would have failed sooner. But, um, you know, we kept it going and, and building that culture of family was a huge component to that. Yeah, I think the culture part, I mean, I've been a, I've been a part of a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Fort Lewis, I was a part of multiple different teams right. because when I went, it was my head coach, um, Obi, his first year. Right. And it was not, there was no culture. Right. It was right. terrible. That's what happened when we came here. Yeah. Right. And it right. was the worst year. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, I think everyone that goes to college the first year, it sucks. It's hard. And I think people don't understand that enough because <laughs> a lot of people give up too easy in yep. college. Yep. Um, but the first year sucks. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, I think humans struggle with change. Completely. Um, of and, all ages. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that change is so drastic when you go to college yeah. that it's just like your body's rejecting it. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I like yeah. to see it. It's yeah. like you're just completely trying to and reject it. And it was up it. to you to make sure your brain doesn't reject it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I hated it. <laughs> on top of that, like our the kids on the team were, a lot of them were terrible people. Mm-hmm. And Obi did a really good job of... Um, being an ass, you know? And I like, I saw that me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. my best friend Mm -hmm. were both like, this is going to be the worst year of our program because we were working out every day as hard as we could. He was pushing us harder than I've ever been pushed. Granted, I hadn't been pushed very hard, but uh, (laughs) like I was working, (laughs) I was working much harder, much, much harder. And I was like, 
if I can get through this one year, mm-hmm. I can make it. Like all the next year anyway. will be easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we ended up getting down to 11 guys. Just like he likes it. 22. Yeah. And he wanted all the fluff gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was perfect. It yeah. was a, a great way to, a great way to do it yeah. because yeah. it changed the, Quickly. yeah. And like, it's still working. The mm-hmm. culture is really getting there now. Yeah. Um, but those were some rough years and yeah. I, and I, I'm sure that it was tough as a coach to get through those years. Oh, and I'm sure you've been through that it's as tough. well. Yeah. It's tough. And you have to have a, a supportive administration yeah. to be able to do those things. Yeah. Cause we had a spring season. We had, we, I don't even think we had 11. I think we had nine <laughs> or 10. We had to have kids that were quitting right. play with us in our spring season. So, that you'd have games. so we'd have enough players yeah. to play. Yeah. Um, and that was like two years in a row, Mm -hmm. the spring season, because Mm -hmm. he brought guys in and then they weren't a fit. Right. Um, and he was relatively very difficult. People don't understand how difficult, um, recruiting is for a team sport. Right. It's different if it's track or tennis or individual sports, because you're kind of recruiting just numbers, you know, how fast are you? What's your, you know, what's your golf score, that kind of thing. Team sports, especially soccer, because you're talking about a big team, it's very complicated and there's no science sure. to it. You know? Yeah. I've been thinking about it a little bit because I'm helping coach my brother's team mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to think of how, because their culture is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a new coach as well. Oh, who's so, that? Um, Will. Oh, Jones. Not, yeah, not Jones. Uh, Will. I know who you're talking oh, shoot, about. He's been there a while. Bit. Yeah. He's been for with Rio for a yeah, long time. Yeah. But um I like him. He's, he's a good coach and he's talking about doing the cold. Like he wants Mm -hmm. to get going with culture. He's only been with them for three, four months and they haven't even really been able to train. Yeah. Like these past two weeks were the only, I know. (laughs) know. So it's been, it's tricky, but Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, there's a lot going on here. Like a lot of the kids won't make it in college if they, continue the way that they're continuing. I'll bet you the percentage of New Mexicans that make it in college, boys and girls in sports is very low. I'm not sure what it is, but I guarantee it's a pretty low number because the culture of New Mexico was said very, very plainly by an NFL player. It wasn't Brian Urlacher. It was another guy that had grown up in New Mexico and then moved away and then got recruited to a big, big time um, college. And then he's in the NFL. I can't remember who it was, but Brian Urlacher says the same thing, that we're happy with mediocre here. Yeah. And that's something I was trying to get out of Sergio Mm -hmm. um, on our podcast was like, cause he's like, he's really, I mean, he's done yeah. A lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's pushed hard. And when I knew him when he was younger, yeah. he was, he worked hard. Yeah. And I, I was like, what, like, why would. He was an anomaly. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> I know. And I mean, there's something to be said about his family being from Mexico. Sure. Probably like he wants to provide. Mm-hmm. I think that. But he's got three brothers and they're not the same as him. No. So I'm just saying, I mean, it was, it's him. Right. It's what's oh, inside absolutely. of him. Yeah. yeah. And. Yeah. Like I, I was trying to understand that and I don't think there really is a lot to like find. It's something just in, instinctual maybe. Well, so 40 years ago when I first started playing soccer and that's kind of when women's soccer, like little girls started playing, you would get well, 1%, maybe 2%, just make it. 
there's no coaching. I mean, there's no professional coaching. There's moms and dads and right. soccer was still a communist sport. And you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously, I mean, I, I, we say that jokingly, but it was kind of true back yeah. then, 45 years ago. And um, even with the numbers in California, you would get boys or girls, 1%, maybe one and a half percent that just made it. Just that's just who they were right. and they would just make it. Well, that's New Mexico still now. Yeah. You still have like that 1% that without much coaching would make it. Yeah. I don't, I, mean, I didn't have the greatest coaching when I was really little and I'd never really learned the mm -hmm. technical side, which mm -hmm. is why I loved having Brendan, like when he was little working with you guys, yeah. it was yeah, great because there was the technical <laughs> yeah. side and Brendan yeah. got so technical. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Like I couldn't keep up with him. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I'm seven years older than him and mm. I had no idea what he was doing with his feet. Yeah. Um, and I was always like, I was like, man, I wish I would have had that. <laughs> and I had some good coaching like in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways I had really like, mm -hmm. and it's still happening. Coaching that just is more about the win. Yeah. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how you get to that spot as a coach because like you coach to be like, oh man, it's back to the same thing. But like you want to help these kids get through life. And that's like, that's what yeah. I had to go through this with my coach at Fort Lewis mm -hmm. is like, he pushed us hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I would like, I resisted it a lot and mm -hmm. I struggled a lot mm -hmm. and like, he helped me get through a lot, not really knowing that that's what he was doing. But, right. uh, and then at the end, just recently, uh, I was going to go back this spring. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then COVID. Right. But I was still planning on it oh, to go. Yeah. yeah. I wanted, I wanted one more season cause I've, I still have two more years of eligibility I know, with your injuries. And yeah. And, um, I had to call him and, uh, we had a meeting scheduled actually. And I was like, I can't come back. Uh, and he was like, I figured yeah. like he, he had already, like, I think he'd already kind of known, mm -hmm. um, that it was like getting close for me to move on. Yeah. Um, that soccer had played its role. And he, that's what he said. He was like, you know, it, at the end, like soccer isn't everything. Right. Um, and like, it was more of like building me for the future, you know, and that's what sports do. Right. And that's like, that's why I love like a lot of people who I'd played with and who left the program and stuff had problems with Obi. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always liked him. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably why was because I knew, like I knew from the beginning that he was there to like, really help us mm -hmm. more develop you. It's a person, yeah. not just a player. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And like, even when he was being an ass or like, it's part of life. Right. And it's hard love. <laughs> yeah. And I got through it because like my, my dad wasn't always the nicest yep. and um, yep. my mom wasn't always the nicest yep. and that's hard just, love. Yeah. That's just how our life yeah. has been. Yeah. But other people didn't understand that and couldn't get through it. Mm -hmm. I struggled even getting through it, but, yep. and I had, terrible coaches that like messed me up mentally mm -hmm. when I was younger, which I made it harder. Yeah, but, um, yeah. like I can't even explain how much the program at Fort Lewis has done for me. Right. Like the guys, the coaches, mm -hmm. like it got me through like the hardest times of my life. Yep. And it was like, because of that, like because of those years, mm -hmm. the initial years, like before my dad had died, mm -hmm. um, my freshman year, 
I was like super negative. Um, I was always complaining. I remember you. (laughs) Like I just wasn't, I just wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And I remember distinctly the second semester of my senior or my freshman year. Mm -hmm. I was like, I am never going to play if I keep going like this. Mm -hmm. And I. An aha moment. Yeah. And I was like, from now on, everything that happens in my life, no matter what it is, is a positive. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was for that whole semester into the following year. Mm -hmm. And it totally changed who I was. Completely. And like, I still had like lapses. Um, human, but it, but human it, moments. Right. But it was weird <laughs> because that following year I had a lapse and Obi called me into his office mm-hmm. and was like, are you all right? Because it was out of the normal at that point. Right. Rather than it being normal. Right. Um, so it was, mm-hmm. I, when he called me in, I was like, wow, I must've like, I must be getting somewhere <laughs> with this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like that program has done, that's what soccer can do. Sports. Yeah. Sports mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. And that's. If you have a coach that that's what they're looking to do. Yeah. And not just win. Right. Exactly. It's. There's a lot of those. Yes. It's, <laughs> and it's sad oh. seeing that because yeah. like when I yeah. watch, mm-hmm. when I go out and help coach as <laughs> Lachlan, mm-hmm. um, when I help coach Brendan's team, I get excited about like helping these kids get to the next level. Yeah. Like I'm like, I've been at college. Yeah. I know what you need to do to get there. Right. Let me help you. Yeah. And I can see it in some of the kids. They had the same coach that messed me up mentally, some of them. Mm-hmm. And I can see it. They don't want to listen to me because they think. Isn't that interesting? They think that I'm trying to hurt them. Right. When I'm Isn't like. Isn't it interesting though? How yeah. one adult. One it's, adult and one thing that they said or more, but can make an impact positively or negatively. It's amazing. Like it it's is. crazy That's to why see. I love the mental psychology side. Yeah. You know, the sport, that's how I got into it. Because I knew that we would be getting kids into our, our college program that were coming from all sorts of backgrounds, let's face it. And we were at a mid-major, so we weren't going to get the top echelon kid, right. which meant the next echelon or the next echelon down, we're going to come in with baggage. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you change their trajectory? Well, mentally is most of it. Awesome. I have some great stories like about that too. Yeah. But I have some great stories about that where you just kind of go, wow. It really works, <laughs> you right, know? Really? Oh yeah. That's so how did you get into that? What did you? Oh, it's actually really funny. Um, so Rudy Davalos was still there. He was about to retire okay. and I've always been into sports psychology. I didn't know that's what it was called, but since I was in college, I would come up with all these things and I would lay there in my room and I would envision things. I mean, it was all these typical sports psych tools that I would do on myself before People use the word sports psychology. So I know it's always been in my head. And I really felt like because we were a mid-major and we weren't going to get those top-tier kids, all of our programs needed a good sports psychologist. Somebody who got them and could work on the mental side. Because that wasn't my, I mean, I loved it and I'd read a lot about it, but that wasn't my forte. And the gentleman he had brought in who hadn't hired me as his like associate athletic director really good guy, really old school. He was an older guy. No, you know, kind of just one of those, like, you just get stuff done, you know? (laughs) And so I went to him and I'm like, look, Con, we really need all of our programs, not just mine. And he goes, looks at me, he says, no coach, that's your job. And I thought, 
okay, I'm going to go get my master's <laughs> in sports psychology. Oh, you got your master's? I got it? my master's in sports psychology. I Wait, did, at UNM? No, no, they don't have that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was an, it's an online program. Oh, nice. It's a very good program. You know, there's some, doing it online, there's some drawbacks, but yeah. I got a ton out of it. I got to meet a lot of cool people and I did, so I did finish my master's and then they hired when, when Krebs came in, they hired a sports psychologist and she was pretty good. Um, you know, again, people change depending upon leadership. I think she was good coming in. I think she was average going out. Mm. Um, and so I still worked on stuff and I have my opinions about sports psychologists. I think there's really good ones and I think there's some that shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. I've, I find that I can imagine that there are some sports psychologists that haven't really played much sports and yeah. I don't know that, I mean, that's not what I'm saying is a problem with that right. one, but no, I'm thinking of two who actually were athletes. One's a male and one's mm. a female that I got to know one way before I got my master's and one after I got my master's and they both had the same problem. They thought they knew too much. So they had all the answers. Yeah. And I just, just like I said about coaching, you know, Jorge and I are in our fifties. We have done it all. We have won at every level imaginable. We don't know it all. We're not even close. The idea that you could know it all. <laughs> yeah, it just makes, you might as well just build your own grave if you know it. Right. All. I mean, I mean, yeah, the more that I like talk to people, the more that I learn. There's no way that you could possibly know it all. No, no way. No. Like you can coach for multiple lifetimes and you won't know everything. Exactly. And that's why it's funny, like you said about obsessing, right? So you have U.S. soccer and our, our overview program of U.S. soccer obsesses. So, you know, so this country won, so now we follow them. And then this country won. Oh, and do now they we really follow. do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, when Germany won a bunch of years ago, ah, now we got to do it the German way. And everybody was about the German <laughs> way. I'm like, okay, the next time they didn't get out of group. So now what? <laughs> now right. what? Now what do you do? Yeah. Our philosophy, and this is also, this is where Jorge and I were such different personalities, but we're so similar in, in a lot of ways. We both believe that there is no one absolute. You pull mm -hmm. from all these. So we've pulled from the Belgium youth. We've pulled from the French youth. We've pulled from the English youth. We've pulled from the American youth because mm -hmm. that's what we do. We've pulled, we pull from the Argentinian. I mean, we pull from all these different things and each group that we coach, we coach them a little bit differently but from all those different areas. Yeah. That makes the most sense. Right. I can't imagine that someone would be like, Oh, that's the best way of doing it. There are coaches in this country who's like, it's all about us soccer. I'm like, so what does us soccer want? I'm not blaming them, oh, but yeah. what have they want? If that's the only thing you're looking at, what are you looking at? I don't even know what us soccer is. What is that? We're like, a melting pot. Exactly. There's, there is, kind of distinctness in other countries because it's been around for much longer. They've kind exactly. of grown their way of doing it. But mm -hmm. in the U S for one, we're extremely diverse. And so it comes from everywhere. Exactly. Like you were saying. Exactly. But like the idea that it would just be one way. Yeah. Well, I laugh when they're like, well, you know, during the games, you know, you sit down and you let them solve problems. And I'm like, okay, I get that. <laughs> I do. I really get that. But when they're little kids and they're not watching soccer the way other countries watch soccer, mm -hmm. where are they pulling their experiences from? Yeah. So you're going to let them do it the wrong way a thousand times? Because you know what that ends up being? The wrong way every time. <laughs> you know. No, I agree. I'm very vocal. Um, 
And that's okay. And I started, like I started coaching with Brendan's team. Yeah. Will is not as vocal as I am, <laughs> especially when we're in game. Right. Like right. he, he wants to see them. And there is some, like, after you tell them how to do it, let them try and figure it out a few times. Absolutely. And I'm still like, I'm, this is my first time coaching anything. So <laughs> I'm just kind of yelling, yeah. but uh, I know I can see it. Yeah. The way that things need to be done. And I'm trying to get that across to them. Yep. But I, I'm not 100% sure on how to get it across to them as and of right now. that takes experience. Right. And that's what, mm-hmm. you know, Will has been really good about, like, trying to tell me, like, teach me things about mm-hmm. how to coach. Maneuver. Um, yeah. Which has been fun. Yeah. Um, and we've only had, like, three sessions. Yeah. So it's been, it's been good. It's so fun to learn. Mm-hmm. And the most rewarding moments are when kids get an aha moment of, like, yeah. oh, you've been saying that. Yes, I have. Right. About 50 times. Or you, <laughs> you see know? it happen in a game and That's you're like, I mean, yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Come go. on. That wasn't difficult. And right. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I love learning. So it's. I, I do too. And that and that's really, that I think is where we have to take the American culture back to learning. Problem solving. Yeah. You know, the, the Japanese problem solve in school 70% of the time. We problem solve about 5% of the time in our American schools. And I've, uh, I've and heard about odd. this. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I've heard about like mm-hmm. the modern school system in America was created in like the 19s, uh, early uh, 1900s. Um, I don't know if I said that right. Back but then. I, yeah, yeah. A Way while ago. Then. Yeah. And they were building it specifically to create the optimal um, where like worker mm-hmm. for like assembly lines mm-hmm. or that's when Ford came out. Right. The, the assembly I, line. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So mm-hmm. the, uh, like, why are we still teaching the same right. way? We have evolved. Now we have so many more complex problems to solve. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't we trying to let people be more creative? Right. Like I hate, I hated school because I feel like there's, you have to take, let the kids take control of their learning in some mm-hmm. aspects. And I'm obviously not a teacher, so I have no idea how to do this, but there needs to be some way of like really pushing the kids to find what they want to do. Because that's mm-hmm. what I've always done mm-hmm. is like when I'm not doing schoolwork, I'm trying to learn other things. Right. And I may be. You and P would get along really well. Yeah. He does exactly the same thing. And I don't see too many kids doing that anymore. Yeah. And that's how Brendan is too. Mm -hmm. Um, And Lachlan. Mm -hmm. So. Your your dad was the ultimate ideas man. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is crazy. And it's funny because I try and communicate with people, Uh especially about like things that I have in my head. (laughs) And And me and my dad were able to communicate so easily because he saw the ideas so easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The vision. Yeah. And I try and say it to other people and they have like, they're like, I have no idea. Because our our society has changed so much. Exactly what you're saying. Read, write, regurgitate. Read, write, regurgitate. Mm -hmm. That is the general population. You know, there's very little problem solving. There's very little creativity. There's very little thinking outside the box. And to me, those are the biggest things. If we could change those in society, society would change itself. Yeah. You no, know? I agree. And I don't mean just having an open mind, like, oh, well, we give kids an opportunity to have an opinion. Yeah, they're not old enough to have an opinion. <laughs> yeah. That That's not what I'm talking yeah. about, you know? And I think we've gone overboard with allowing kids to have an opinion because yeah. there are certain things that like, yeah, this isn't, this is not your time for an opinion. This yeah. is mom telling you, yeah, no, yeah. but, but can we discuss it? Can you have an opinion without 
saying, well, I'm not going to do what you're going to, you know, right. Having a conversation, a conversation or just saying, okay, mom, I get it. Sometimes you're just going to have, you're my parent, but when I'm doing this, I'm solving problems. That's a different story. Right. I think we've, we've mixed up what having an opinion means. Yeah. We've gotten to the point where if you have an opinion, there are no other opinions, which right? is like to think that you could have Anti-freedom. an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> It, no, I mean, it's true though. It drives it's me crazy. Yeah. My generation, yep. there's a lot of kids in my generation, oh my the generation above me and the generation below me that just, just have no idea what's going on in the world. No, but if you don't agree with them, then you're stupid. Right. Or you're just wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I mean, it makes me laugh because mm-hmm. it's, they just haven't had any experience. No. Like I've done really nothing. But you've had more experience than they have. Right. But they're right. Yeah, I, I'm, I may have just been, I may have just found the right conversations to have mm-hmm. um, and listened to the right people. Mm-hmm. They're just on a, the wrong path. But even just the idea that you could think that you have an opinion that's the only opinion that's valid right. drives me crazy. Because that's not even like human nature. Yeah. To just agree. Right. You know. <laughs> when And when I have an opinion, I'm... I can hold on to my opinions, mm-hmm. but I'm almost never, and I'm working on it still. Uh, I'm just prefacing. That's absolute. <laughs> yeah. um, I really am trying hard not to hold too tightly onto my opinions mm-hmm. because a lot of people are right in a lot of different scenarios and mm-hmm. I'm right in a lot of different scenarios, but they don't always align. And a conversation might solve some of that. Exactly. At least to know where that middle road is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being able to, mm-hmm. I, I recently had a problem with someone that's relatively close to my family and they weren't even willing to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. They hung up on me twice. Yeah. And I was like. Cause that's the new solution. And they're hanging up on people. And they're older. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm trying to solve this like an adult right. and have a conversation. Yeah, but that's, You're not even mature enough to because, do that. Because society is okay with it. Yeah. You know, if you don't like what they do, go riot. Yeah. Just saying like that, right? This last year, we've seen that more than ever. Yeah, both sides. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. more than ever, if you don't like the answer, go riot, go loot, go steal, go, you know. And you just kind of look at people and go, wow, where, yeah, have, we, where have we gone? Yeah. Because this is not what it was even just five years ago. Nah, 10 years ago. I feel like ago. it is kind of cyclical. It is a little the, bit. The 1960s, there were riots mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot in California. Yeah. Um, the, the freedom. Yeah. <laughs> there were, yeah, the I remember hippies, I was freedom. just talking to my grandparents yeah. about this. Yeah. And because we were getting into all of the racial stuff mm-hmm. like last year, early last year. And they were talking about like, they're like, oh, it's so similar to the 1960s. And it's I was like, I flavor. had no idea oh, that yeah. there was that oh, yeah. in the 1960s. Oh, yeah. So yep. it's, I mean, it's sad to think that we're having the same problems that we were in because the Because we're trying to erase history. You can't, I learned a really good, really good lesson when I lived in Europe. I was living in Holland. Right. The Dutch hate the Germans. They hate them because mm. of World War II. Right. They hate them. Makes a lot of sense. They, their languages are similar enough where you can, if you're not sure what you're listening to, they sound alike. Mm-hmm. And the Dutch are like very offended if oh. you say that they speak German. Interesting. The Germans pushed 
and demanded so much of the Dutch to, you know, to use their country, to use Poland, to use that the Dutch are like, they're the worst. But here's what happens. We think about D-Day. The Dutch think about D-Day. They remember it. They were, uh, Poland has the, the really awful, you know, Auschwitz, the awful concentration yep. camps. But the Czech Republic has smaller concentration camps that German put the, the Germans put there. And so I went on a trip with one of my Dutch families because I lived in families' homes. And we, they took me to the Czech Republic. The Cold War had just ended right the summer before I got there. So to, to, to be around um, people of the Soviet Union and all the different countries, the Czech Republic, all that, it was pretty interesting. People don't understand that. Like when we were going through this whole um, COVID and people were telling on other people with the masks and stuff. And I, w- I said to somebody, I'm like, we're not the police state. And they were like, oh my God, you sound so, I'm like, this is, this is not political to this country. There really was a police state. I, le- I met a really young couple, Czech couple, with little kids. So they were young, they were in their thirties and I was only 25 right. and they wouldn't smile in public. They wouldn't laugh in public. And I asked my Dutch friends, I'm like, I don't understand. He goes, oh, if they laughed or, or, or enjoyed life in public, all their neighbors would tell on them. And they could go to jail. For enjoying life in public? For laughing. For smiling. Really? What? That's crazy. That was Russia, the Soviet Union, the USSR. And all their oh, little... so weird. So people don't understand that here, that when we start telling on each other... Okay, so it's masks today. What's it tomorrow? Right. When we start that, that's where the Soviet Union was. That's where communism comes from. That's complete, complete control over people. And, and people are like, oh my God, you're, you must be conservative. I'm like, you're just assuming what I am. Yeah. I'm speaking from experience. Right. That had nothing to do with my political affiliation. It had everything to do with having lived in Europe immediately after the Cold War and seeing it for myself. So people don't get those things. But one of the things that I thought was also interesting was that Dutch family took me to one of the smaller concentration camps. It was uh, was called Terrasenestat. It's not a well-known one. You'd have to look it up. And the reason they took me there, they were very historical, this family, and they taught me a ton. They took me there to experience it. He goes, if you go to Poland, you don't want to see those concentration camps. Auschwitz, Dachau. I mean, they were, he said, you can feel the ghosts. But they leave them up and they left this one up and they were making it. Actually, that was when the Serbian-Croatian war was going on. He said, we leave these up so people never forget. So they don't revisit that history, right? What are we doing in this country? We're tearing down history. We're canceling history. That's exactly what I was saying. Why? Because in another, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, guess where we're going to be again? Right. Right back because we're canceling our culture. You can't cancel things that happen. You don't have to agree with them, but you can't cancel them. You yeah. don't just go away. I was just thinking, I was literally just telling Brendan this the yeah. other day because yeah. we were talking about how they were tearing down all of the, oh like God. the statues of. Half the ones they don't even know what they're tearing down. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I'm like, how, like, like I was saying, I don't even know of the riots that happened in the 60s. Because we don't talk how, about it. Right how are we supposed to know? Right. About these things, if we just get rid of them, right? Like you don't, we, so you don't learn from that's them. That's not progress. No, like you have to. And they're trying to they're trying to change our history books, and they're trying. It's like <laughs> you can change as you much as you want. The history will not go away. I mean, it doesn't doesn't just disappear. Right. But if we don't learn from it, that means it's going to reappear. 
So again, everyone's like, oh, you're so political. I'm not political. I lived in Europe. Until you live in countries that have felt those things, you're sort of talking from nowhere, right? Again, yeah. if you're not learning, you're dying. And that was something so, that I heard on a podcast that I found really interesting was that a lot of people in Florida, mm-hmm. a lot of the immigrants from Florida mm-hmm. were very pro-Trump uh-huh. because not because they liked Trump necessarily, uh-huh. but because they hated the socialistic ideals of the left mm-hmm. um, because they we, lived in socialism. Com- it's all where you're coming from. Yeah. Do we want to be Venezuela? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, so yeah. th- and that's what I'm saying. Like people hated him, him so much. They weren't listening to what they were agreeing to. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not giving them a political affiliation. I actually a registered independent yeah. because of exactly those things. There's good on both sides. There's bad on both sides. Yeah. But if we don't learn from our history and we just try to erase it and everybody's like, oh, the newest thing. Oh my God. Women have worked so hard for some sense of equality mm-hmm. and we're still not close, Yeah, but we're on that track to have them sign in that transgender men that are transitioning to women can compete in sports against women has got to be the stupidest oh thing God. I have ever heard. Yeah. So they just set women back a hundred years ago. Good job. That's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. It makes no sense at all. Like, I don't know so who would think that would ever make sense. Right. I mean, you're talking about less than 1% of the population, probably less percent, less than 1% of 1% of the population that we are now giving equality to. And you're killing 50% of the population to do it. Like that doesn't, I heard this brilliant young girl who's a track athlete. Yeah. I saw the same video. And I'm like, I mean, she's not, she's articulate, but she's not like off the chart. She's Mm -hmm. just like, it's unfair. Yeah. She was talking about how, I think it was two transgender boys came in and absolutely erased all of the female records that their school had ever had. And 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 in my opinion- we should erase those kids. They should have their own category. I agree. Let them do their own thing. But don't, that is unfair. They were born male with male hormones and male, de- and you're going to make Growing girls. through that too. Yeah. You know, and you're going to make girls run against that or compete against that or whatever. I mean, just listen to the illogical sense of that. But we're doing it because that's the group that we're, we're, we're going to connect to now. It's like, wow. The most ridiculous one is fighting. <laughs> like the idea. Yeah. Like I'm for like, if a woman agrees to fight a man Mm -hmm. and that's what she wants to do, power to you, but you're not going to see that too much. No, right. Exactly. (laughs) And there's a reason for it. Yeah. And there are instances where you don't have to say that you were trans, like that you were a male until you were 20. Right. And then you can transition to being a female Mm -hmm. and just go punch these women's heads in. It's crazy. And I'm like, what is going on here? It's just not even logical. Yeah. So now we're losing our sense of logic on top of everything else. I heard something from, I think it was Brett Weinstein Mm -hmm. um, or I can't remember what the other guy's name. It's one of them. But he says that I I actually listened to it in um, an audio book, The Madness of Crowds. Okay. Um, It was a guy that wrote that. Um, He was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Okay. And he talked about how... At the end of civilizations, mm-hmm. people get hyper obsessed with sexuality mm. and like the kinds of things that we're going f- mm. through, which is like like the um, the Romans went through it, mm-hmm. 
and um, the Egyptians went through it. Interesting. So it's, I wouldn't. I don't know enough about history. Jorge's a history buff. He probably oh, is does. He? Yeah, and so is P. Actually, P probably more in history than Jorge at this point. So that, that that would be interesting to talk to them. You'd like talking P. Yeah. Those are the same kind of podcasts he listens to. Yeah. And he's got so many opinions about it. I got to give it to Bosky. They make you think. They make you problem solve more than most. More than most. Mm -hmm. They also have some delusional factors. To well, them. they have their own agenda. Yep. And so I guess that's where I get upset when an academic educational environment has an agenda. For me, that mm -hmm. there's a problem with that. Yeah. Because then you're taking away opinions, you know? Yeah. I just and mean in general. They just made it so that everyone, I, I found that everyone at Bosky, especially kids younger than me, mm. were really looking for ways to be oppressed. Yeah, I think that's society in general, though. I agree, but <laughs> at Bosky, it's like hyper focused. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I'd have to I, ask P. He would know better than I, I just, but. like, my mom yeah. told me that she went to their, um, and I'm not trying to knock Bosky at no, all because no, no, it's no, a I really good school. Yeah, yeah. But she went to the eighth grade uh, po uh, poetry slam or whatever it's called. I can't remember what it's called, but everyone. Oh, everyone a couple years ago? Yeah, everyone in eighth she grade and I writes were both a poem. sitting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all of the girls was about like how they were oppressed in some way or something like that. And then all very, of the boys was about being outside. dark. Yeah. <laughs> they were very dark. Yeah. And, and the then all the boys what? was like outside playing or Not like being with friends. Or, there were a few that were quite oppressed also. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. Like, but. You're in eighth grade at, at a private school. You are not oppressed. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I know. It's like the idea. I know. I know. Like that you have to search for oppression so right. hard yeah, because yeah. you're your life is so good. But again, I think that's where we forget that there's opinions mm -hmm. and then there's, there's conversation. Like yeah. there's a difference between those two. Yeah. Like I can't talk about like, I'm, I've never been oppressed. Uh, yeah. Most of us haven't been. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. And me, especially I'm yeah. a, a, I'm a tall white male, you know, yeah. I, I really haven't ever had problems. Right. right. Like I got bullied in, in middle school and high school, like everybody else, but but it wasn't because you were being oppressed. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, I think you need a little bit of bully. <laughs> <laughs> a little humble, yeah. humble pie. It, it keeps you together. You but, but the, the idea that uh, I'm not trying to say that no one at Bosky is oppressed, but to be at Bosky, there is a lot that you have. You should be more grateful than anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you I, should, and I agree with that. I think you we should don't try talk and about, acknowledge yeah. The people I, that are truly oppressed right. and not try and say that I'm oppressed rather than, because then you're just like a rate, like you're getting rid of other people's oppression. If everybody's oppressed, then nobody's or oppressed. Or you're downplaying it. Right. Right. So there's real Mexican-Americans. Let's just use the Hispanics because this is a predominantly Latin population here. Mm -hmm. We've got the Latin American, Mexican-Americans, whatever background, at a Bosque, and then in the South Valley. You're talking about two different groups. You know, but yeah. you have a few at Bosque that, oh, you know, my, my Mexican people, they're, they're, we're so oppressed. It's like, you're not. Right. You're welcome to stand strong for the, the South Valley kids. Yeah. God knows they, they need assistance. You're not oppressed. Yeah. So don't talk about it like you, from your experience. Like I said, until I had gone to Europe at 25, I didn't know what the, I, I knew what the Cold War was. I didn't know what it stood for, what yeah. it meant, what it looked like. So until you're in the midst of something, I don't even want to hear it. 
Yeah, there's you know? so much that I have no idea. Like, I learned a little bit about the Cold War, but mostly, like, the high level, like, how the two, the president. Stalin. Yeah, how they were the, interacting. Right. But I didn't, I didn't, I don't know anything about. Okay. You know the lines that we've been waiting? At yeah. Walmart and Target. It's always like that, right? For bread. You want a piece of bread? You're going to wait in a line. You want a piece of meat? You're never going to get it. You better go on a list. Of another list of an, I mean, is it because it's rationing? Yeah, or, okay. some of it's rationing. Some of it is because they have no free capitalism. It's yeah. not enough is being made. Um, the people that want to get rid of capitalism just they are, just don't get are it. really confused. They just don't get it. They're yeah. lost. Yeah, 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 that's a whole separate <laughs> issue. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Another yeah. day. No, it it's Venezuela. They went from being a pretty happy country, uh, far from perfect. There was plenty of poverty. I don't mean it like that, but to like devastation. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, we have to learn from others. Yeah. Like you said, how do you learn? By going there, by helping people, by, by not erasing history, by learning from history and yeah. saying, we're not going to do that again. We're not going to let this happen. Yeah. It's, and there's, there's a lot of countries that people point to and they're like, they don't really have capitalism. And you're like, if you look at it, they do. Their business is very capitalistic, probably even so, more than so us. So we talk about that here, right? Equal across. Yeah. Okay. Sweden, Norway, yes, they're socialist. They're capitalist socialist. Yeah. And the socialist part doesn't work very well. No. Okay. Canada, everyone's like, oh, you get healthcare up there. It's free. First of all, it's not free. Nothing is free. Yeah. Somebody's paying for it. And number two, when they really need medical care, guess where they're going? Here. Yeah. This is not a complicated equation, but people are just, they're so blinded. And I hate using the word brainwashed, but that's what it mm -hmm. is. They're so brainwashed by certain things, by oh, by just certain things that they just don't want to open their minds to like realities. Yeah. Don't believe me. Go there. Go there and really talk to people that know, not the ones that are going to voice their opinions. Oh, Canada is so great. Those are people that are being loud for a reason. Go and sit with the people. That's what I did. Right. You know, yeah. the Dutch are wonderful people, but they're also the most judgmental, critical people there are. And they judge and criticize the United States. And I sat there, I lived there for seven months and I sat there and I finally said to them, you know, you're so critical and judgmental of the United States. Why do you try to emulate us every moment you can? <laughs> and they were like, no, we don't. And I'm like, mm. and they had to kind of stand back and they're like, oh, we do, don't we? Right. Yeah, because we're a great country. We're not perfect but we are a great country. Why do you think other countries want to be here? Yeah. Why do you think other people want to be here? It's not because we have such a bad country. It's because we have a great country. Let's not ruin it. It's a land it. of opportunity. But let's not ruin it. Yeah. Don't let other people ruin it. And that's what I was talking with. I was talking with Depot about that yeah. because he came from, um, oh, geez. I forgot where it is. Taiwan? No. No. Uh, it starts with an I. Indonesia? Yeah, Indonesia. Oh, did he? he? Yeah, I was he, wondering where he's from. I mean, I know him, but I've never asked those yeah, questions. He's oh. from Indonesia. Okay. And he I was very interested in that I that dynamic of mm -hmm. like coming here very. and why he stayed. Right. Um He's a great businessman. Extremely good businessman. Mm -hmm. And I like what looking at him, I was like, he's from Indonesia. He's a great businessman. He's probably like really likes the way that America's set up where right. you can Which is why he stayed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, he talked a little bit about like the, um, not smiling. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of missed the whole reason for it reason. Mm -hmm. And it just, there's so many, the, 
I don't know how many people outside of like the U S and Canada are outside of Canada. Mm-hmm. Don't want to come to the U S mm-hmm. but I can't imagine well, the Canadians that, come here plenty. Oh no, I know. Yeah, but I'm saying yeah. that I, I feel like the Canadians, I mean, there's other countries, but the Canadians are probably the most happy where they are as mm-hmm. like a percentage of them yeah. that don't want to come cities, here, but you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 But I feel like there's so many people around the world that would die to come to the U S and they do. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Which says a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm married to one. Yeah. 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 And that's why I get sad when his family is so rigid in their thinking because he even says, don't you guys realize how much we've gained from this country? Right. Like, how can you, how can you be so critical of all the great things this country represents when you're, you're here and you're, you're thriving because of it. Mm-hmm. I struggle with that. Yeah. You know, for me, I think the greatest thing that we're missing in this country is gratefulness. I yeah. think we're a very ungrateful country of people. Mm-hmm. I think people don't recognize how good we have it and how we should be doing everything to savor that and save it that we can. Yeah, we have a pretty crappy culture we right do. now. It's very ugly. Yeah. It's very ugly. And there's one side that would say, well, because there's so much racism and discrimination and this and that and that. And there's another side that just says, maybe we just need to be more grateful. Everybody. Yeah. Of all backgrounds. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think it's sad. I think, I don't know that it's the best way. I don't, (laughs) I don't know that the best way of getting rid of like racism and those kind of things is to hyper-focus on them. If you listen it to some, be, if you listen to some incredibly intelligent, articulate, educated minorities from all backgrounds, they would agree with you. Really? So it's very interesting. I because it just seems like it's drawing more attention. Like if you're in the situation where you're like, mm-hmm. maybe you're having to hire somebody or to judge someone, mm-hmm. and then you're in the situation where you're like, man, I should probably hire someone of color. And then you're like, are they really equipped for the job? Like, mm-hmm. am I just hiring them because they're a minority or mm-hmm. am I hiring them because they're the best person for the job? Right. Which is, yeah. which gets into weird yeah. situations because mm-hmm. there's just, it's not always, they're not always the best person for the job. No. And there's no, Absolute answer either. Yeah. And now there's like quotas on how many, Mm -hmm. the diversity that you have to have within a company. Yeah. Especially at the big companies and like in schooling and stuff like that, especially with the women, women aren't as (laughs) interested in like mathematics and engineering and stuff like that. And then people try and equate that to, I mean, obviously there's still problems, but I think they're looking at the wrong numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're doing that in a lot of things. Yeah, I really do. Just across the board. I think we're looking for trouble instead of fixing the small problems as we go with the right attitude. And again, I, I, I hate to go back to it, but I think that if we're all more grateful for what we have, we'll make better decisions in those areas. You yeah, know? I've I struggle with gratitude. <laughs> I think we all do, but it, it has to be a conscious I don't really know how to be like, it's hard. I've tried like doing a gratitude, like journal, Uh like at night. Yeah. 
girlfriend does that. Yeah. And she's really good at it. Yeah. But I like Charlie, by the way. Yeah. She's, she's great. Yeah. Um, we had a nice conversation. Yeah. I heard. <laughs> yeah. She was actually the one that was like, you should have kid on your podcast. And oh, I was like, funny. why not? Like what? Like what? How did I That's not so think funny. of that already? That's so um, funny. But I just like when I try and get to the gratefulness part, I'm like, it seems to like be like, Oh, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for this. But I don't think, I think that's the part is that we're all trying to figure it out for me. And what I try to tell P in particular, (laughs) Tiana's a little harder at 11, but I don't even mean like writing it down. I just mean like when things happen during the day, just be grateful, Mm -hmm. you know, or be grateful that, you know, so-and-so came into your life. Maybe they're difficult. Maybe, you know, Jorge and I, just recently I was saying that this person came into our life and they're like incredibly difficult. And I thought, I appreciate that that person came into our life. It made me think yeah. and it made me more grateful. Or they made me more grateful for all the things I already have. Mm-hmm. I don't need more from them because they're not very good people. Right. And so I was grateful that I was able to differentiate between real good people and somebody that was, you know, just sort of trying to get something from us. Right. And so I, I don't think you necessarily have to write it down all the time. I just think during the day, if we're just more grateful for, you know, the food on our plate for Finding pizza. little moments. Yeah. And because it is hard. I've, I've tried that too and I'm not good at it. <laughs> I've had those. I, I definitely have had those moments in the day where I'm like, and I've gotten really good at it. I think just that part, yeah. because I know how lucky I am mm-hmm. to be yeah. where I am. Yeah. And like, I've, I've had struggle, but like, not like some others. Yeah. Yeah. There's much worse. Well, even like you said, you're tearing up the floor in your restaurant this morning. How awesome is that, that you can do that stuff? Oh, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. So that, that's what I mean. More grateful in the things that we can do as opposed to the things that maybe we can't do. Mm-hmm. Or like I said, I mean, I just get sad when people are blaming everything on racism and discrimination. I mean, I'm a pioneer for women. My generation is a pioneer. I was a pioneer for women's soccer. I could keep going back and going, wow, all these girls nowadays, they didn't have to do what I did. Or just say, God, I'm so grateful that I was able to do all that. Maybe I can mentor some women going forward, some young women. That's why I like college coaching. It was probably the biggest thing I liked about it. And and, And for Charlie to ask me questions and be like, you know, what do you think about this in leadership for women? And I'm like, that. That's the part I love Mm -hmm. because I've had, I've had to have those tough moments. I've had, you know, 85 programs and I was offered scholarships when scholarships didn't uh, exist. I didn't even know what it was. Oh, you're going to give me money to go to school. Wow. That's kind of a cool idea. (laughs) You know, well, I kind of like this. I mean, we didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Nowadays it's like, what are you giving me? So when I counsel kids. I can't ask for anything. No. I have such a hard time. But when I counsel kids on on trying to find the right school, the first thing I say is, don't tell the coach what he's going to give you. Tell the coach what you're going to give his program, how you're going to serve. Because let's face it, if you're not serving the program, I don't care how good you are. What use are you? Yeah, I I went through that because I I paid for a lot of my schooling. And I... I didn't ever ask for money mm-hmm. um, because I was like, I don't know that I'm doing enough to ask for it at mm-hmm. this point. And I remember hearing a lot of people going in asking for more money, more money. And I'm like, I don't. And that's know. probably why your coach loved you. Yeah. Towards and the end, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Greatest story I've ever, I've ever heard. 
had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. There was a, a former U.S. women's national team player, and she was a youth national team player, and she got offered a full ride to Notre Dame. Full ride. I'm not going to mention her name because she's everybody knows who she is. And her dad was very wealthy. He was a CEO of a very big company, Fortune 500 company. And the coach at the time offered her a full ride. She was that good. And she was a defender, which was unusual, but right. she was a defender. And the dad sat down with the coach and said, okay, so you like my daughter? And he goes, she's worth a full ride. I mean, I, I want her. He said, great. I'm giving you the money back. We will not take a dime because I can afford to send her here. Right. We want you to use that to continue to make the program the best. You don't hear stories like that. That's you just amazing. don't hear stories like that. Yeah. 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 And she had, a, she had a great college career. She's had a great national team career. Every time I see her name, and she's re- since retired, every time I see her name, I just think, I love that story. That is an awesome story. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I'd love to sit down with him <laughs> and her. Yeah, both of them. If they'd admit to it. This is a long time story. <laughs> Actually, this was before we came here. Jorge and I were both assistant coaches at USC. So it's been, you know, 25, 30 right. years. I just, I like the idea... I like the, how he was like wanting to understand how much the coach. Because that was the only thing that was important to him. Yeah. It's his daughter. He didn't want, he didn't want to just like give her for free and the coach didn't really want her. But once he really wanted her, good, we're, we're, we're good. This is okay. That's why just totally different financial. You've heard of Dave Dave Ramsey? Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm all, I went into a deep thing with Dave Ramsey just a couple months ago. I'm tracking my it. expenses. I and, love it. Yeah. You know what I like about Dave Ramsey? Because we're doing the same. I wish I'd known this stuff 25 years ago. Yep. We would be in financially in a totally different place. And I'm teaching the boys. I'm trying to teach my family. Yes. Because it's super important. <laughs> yeah. What I love about Dave, and this comes back to gratitude, and the only reason I even brought him up, is that his whole point of being financially free is the more you have, the more you give. Yep. And the, the less debt you have or the no debt that you have, the more you're able to help. Yep. So I follow on Facebook, uh, the Dave Ramsey baby steps. Mm-hmm. So it's all these people that are just asking questions and stuff. My most fun readings. And the only reason I even flip through it sometimes is to hear people say they're in baby steps, you know, five, six, and seven, and they were able to help this person by giving them a $300, whatever, because they needed it. And I think, oh my gosh, I want to be there so bad. I know. I was just about to say that (laughs) when you were talking about the fortune 500 guy, Yeah. um, I was like, you know, I've had people ask me why I want to be so successful because I do want to be very successful. Yeah, of course. And I've... I've always thought about what I can do. Like Mm -hmm. I always want to be in a position where if someone in my family goes into a situation where they're, where (laughs) they're, um, where they need help Mm -hmm. and it's like maybe medical bills or something, Lachlan, close the door. That, That you can do that. That I can just be like, there's no problem. Yep. You don't have to worry about it. Yep. Or a friend. Yep. Or I even think a total, it's total stranger yeah. that all of a sudden needs something, you know? I mean, Jorge and I have helped so many kids for so long by just mm-hmm. giving them free training, yeah. you know, to give them opportunity. But it always hurts me because it hurts my family, mm-hmm. you know, because we just don't have the funds to be able to do that. And we still do it, but I would love to be in the situation for Jorge to coach for fun because that's what he has a passion for right. and to coach kids 
you know, that need, need the assistance and kids that don't need the assistance and a mix and help them. But I also would, would love to be, like you said, somebody that just needs I don't know, a pair of cleats or something and be able to say, no problem, we'll get them for you. Or, yeah. or whatever. I mean, that's kind of a simplistic view of it, but just, There's, yeah. you know. I have a, a that idea that we were, this is <laughs> yeah. all circling around, yeah, yeah. that idea that we were talking about at the beginning. Yep. There were many things like that that I wanted to add into it. Yep. Um, so, yep. yeah, there's there's well, a lot of good. It warmed our heart with Lachlan getting those cleats in the in the foot oh, yeah. the other day. And he's so excited. Oh, he loves he didn't them. He doesn't care. He loves you know? them. Yeah. yeah. But I look at those things and I think that, again, where does gratitude come from? Being able to do those kinds of things. Yeah. With, I mean, that didn't cost us anything, right? Yeah. But the kids were so excited to get new shoes. New to them, yeah. as Ramsey says, right? right? New to them car, new to, you know, just, God, those are just lessons. I feel like those are lessons that we have to get back to in society. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. And Dave Ramsey has been saying a lot about like my generation mm -hmm. and how we perceive things. Yeah. And I think he's pretty on point with most of it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of generations. I don't know where this country decided that being in debt was okay. Yeah. Cause I know that, you know, my mom's generation, she's 86, you know, the post-World War II, the depression. I mean, they didn't waste anything yeah. and debt was just, they weren't going into debt because they saw what that looked like. Right. So I'm not sure what happened. The guy that created debt, uh -huh. actually, he was like, he was the first, he owned the bank that started loaning. Okay. I figured it started someplace. Right. He yeah. said that he would never take on debt because it was the worst debilitating. Idea. Yeah. It's debilitating. He said right? it was the worst idea yeah. that you could have. Yeah. Um, especially like high interest debt, like credit cards and stuff like that. But most debt entirely is really bad for you. And it is, he was the one that created it, <laughs> which, okay. It's just like those that created not, not the computer, but the iPads, the iPhones, all those things that kids are like this with, they don't let their kids on them. Yeah. The same thing. Did you see this uh, social dilemma? I did see social dilemma. That one was so interesting because mm -hmm. the people who created it can't get themselves off. of yep. it. So what does that tell you? Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's true. It sucks you in. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, did we go in big circles here, <laughs> Yeah, we did. Well, that's been two hours now. I figured. So that was, a, that was a good conversation. Thank you for coming on, Kit. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. It's yeah. always a pleasure, and we'll have to come back and do, I don't know, specific topics no, or yeah, something. No, I, I was thinking about this. I wanted to get both you and Jorge on, okay. but I haven't gotten another mic yet. Okay. Um, we can so, sit next to each other. We're married. <laughs> right. No, but I'll get another one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to have Jorge on and then okay. a little down the line, we'll okay. have both you guys on. He would love again. it. He's got some good stories. I know. Get him speaking Spanish. That's where his real passion comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't understand anything. Yeah. So. No. He's good. I think everything's better in Spanish. I think so too. It's got probably. more flavor. Yeah. So funny. Well, All thank right. you, Devin. I yeah. appreciate it. All right. Very much. Thank you. Thank you.